Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I'm Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. I am proud to present today's distinguished guest, the big cheese himself, Pizza Man Dan. He is the owner of Pizza Man Dan's, the ubiquitous pizza chain in Ventura County. They have served three million smiling faces since their inception, and they are opening their eighth restaurant as we speak. Pizza Man Dan started out as a delivery driver while attending college in Rhode Island. He would eventually become the president of Rusty's Pizza in California. He learned a great deal from the mentors he had in that business, and eventually he decided to start his own company. It has been 15 years of being in business for himself, and he now aims to franchise his business so that the folks that have been managing his locations can someday own their own restaurant. In this conversation, we talk about his company's approach to marketing. That includes the vehicles that are associated with his business, such as the pepperoni-covered Corvette. That also includes the commercials that have been coming out recently for Pizza Man Dan. He himself is an actor in these commercials. He discusses how the Toastmasters organization that he's a part of has helped his public speaking skills and that those skills have transferred over into him being in front of the camera. We discuss what makes an effective and good leader in a business. We discuss whether or not there is such a thing as contentment and satisfaction when running your own business. Dan reflects on the defining moment that showed him the future 15 years ago. All this and more in this discussion, it is my distinct honor and privilege to present to you Pizza Man Dan. What is it about pizza, you know, that got you in this business? Could it have just as easily been hamburgers or is there something about pizza that gets you? You know, I, so, I suppose it could have been, Alan. The, what got me into pizza was delivering, being a delivery driver at the University of Rhode Island. And I was in a fraternity and everybody in the fraternity would wait until I came home at the end of the night because I always brought home the, what they call the crew prize, the, the mistakes and everything else. And so three o'clock in the morning, I got like 25 guys waiting for me to show up. And it just seemed like, I think that's when I discovered that pizza was unique in that it was a shared food. And that matched what I want to do with my life. So you're right. Could have been just easily been hamburgers, but maybe not because that food is different, right? So you mentioned uh, University of Rhode Island. Were you a student or were you just working in the area? I was a student. I, uh, I dropped out to become a pizzeria manager. <laughs> wow. What, what were you studying? Uh, computer science, believe it or not. Are you still interested in the field in general or, you know, once you dropped out, that was it, you know, no more? Um, I'm not sure that I was smart enough for it to begin with. Uh, you know, I had only gone through about three semesters which means that you have, you're not into your major at that point. Uh, mm. I just had an interest in it. And that, that was back in the days when to get time on a computer was difficult. You had to schedule time. And if you couldn't make it during a schedule time, we had some bootleg. Uh, one, of the IT, one of the guys who understood IT uh, bootlegged off of that and set it up in a closet. And so we would go into that closet and play around. So I don't know. <laughs> Weird well, days. You know, when you look at computers now and you see what can be done now, is it, you know, as foreign as Chinese or, you know, how do you think about the technology now? 
I'm surprised that I have to know as much as I do, which is very, very <laughs> entry level for a pizza business. So when we first got, you know, uh, point of sale systems, POS systems are all computerized and, and everything that they can do. You cannot run a restaurant without a great POS system. And you have to understand at least the entry level portion of that in order to succeed. And you add to that, that we have a one number phone center, which means that we're, uh, you know, we take all the calls, all the internet orders through one place. And that goes out to all the locations based on a database. So all of a sudden you have to know more than you ever wanted to. I, I'm 30 years old. I was born in 1989. And basically, my whole upbringing <laughs> has to do with computers and, you know, all these things. So you actually remember a time where businesses could run off of basically a, a, a calculator and a notepad? I mean, is that what you're kind of saying? Bada bing, I'm that old. Is it unnecessarily complicated nowadays? Or are things really different? And we need these new technologies and computing systems? We uh, we cannot function without them now. So you think about the skills that were involved in the old systems of, you know, uh, you almost had a, uh, a shorthand for how to take a pizza order because you couldn't write everything <laughs> out. So you'd have to have those skills, that knowledge. So now if, if, uh, if the Internet fails in one of our restaurants and our redundancy fails, uh, we're back to the Stone Ages and nobody can handle it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a disaster. <laughs> So you mentioned Rhode Island. Um, so were you born and raised out there? On the East Coast, yes. And you sound, this is very, um, how can I say this? I should be more reflective than I am, but I, I would say that you, you don't seem to have much of an accent. Is there a Rhode Island East Coast accent? Uh, yes. When I came to California, I had to lose the accent because in order <laughs> to be understood, you have to enunciate. And the East Coast language, the East Coast dialect is non-enunciated. You, you, you take out the A's and you put an A, you take out the A's and you put an R. <laughs> Do you, I've heard from people that I know that, you know, when they go back home, whether it's the South or the East Coast, that they, within a day, within hours of being home, they have the deepest accent that they ever had. Do you have that experience when you go back home? I have that experience two times when I go back home or after I've had a couple beers. <laughs> you know, I, I actually uh, have joked around with the, when I was younger, I joked around with a buddy, with a buddy's father who was from uh, Boston and mm -hmm. he actually didn't think it was very funny. I think, I, I don't know what I said. I don't know if I imitated an, a Boston accent, but he actually uh, found that offensive. Do you, do you understand that? Why it might be offensive to like imitate, you know, even if you're just trying to be funny? Not for a New Englander. No, you, there's, there's no offense whatsoever. So that's a strange situation. <laughs> well, I, I think, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard that accents, like especially East Coast accents, um, especially in New York, they have sort of like a class um you, identification marker, you know, so, all of a sudden you yep. start speaking a certain way and all of a sudden you can say, oh, he's from the Bronx. He's from here. Mm. Do you know if there's anything related to that where someone might take events because it, it sort of uh, insults where they came from? Is that what it is? No, I, I have never run into that. You are correct. There are different dialects throughout New England and uh, Newport is probably closest to Boston for what people most most people know. Uh, mm. You know, Rhode Island is right next to Boston. We're about an hour and 15 minutes from Boston. Mm. And so that accent was strong. 
but uh, no, I, I've never heard <laughs> what you're referring to. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That makes me feel a little less bad. That really kind of uh, made me feel bad for nah. a while there. Nah. Uh, so you mentioned that you're from uh, Rhode Island and, uh, so, and you went to college, you took some courses at least. Did your folks, did they put any pressure or, or were there any expectations that their son would go to college or was it your own choice to pursue education? I think most parents want their kids to go to college because they know how important that is. They know that that is going to give them a different pay grade, a different lifestyle. Uh, you know, it's a shame that, that as kids, we don't, re we don't know that at the time and how important mm. school is, you know, that you, what's, what's that expression? There's nothing more expensive, the, the most ex expensive education is no education or something. Along <laughs> those lines. Yeah. What did your parents say when you told them you wanted to, um, open a pizza business? Oh, they stopped talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that down the road they were proud, but they were, you know, of course they were disappointed that I didn't finish college. And have they passed? Are they still with us? Yes. Yeah. No, they passed away. Mm. Did they get to see any, you know, I would regard you as a very successful person and I hope you feel the same way. Did they get to see any of that success before they passed? Uh, anybody in business can tell you that, well, the, the top 5% can tell you that they were successful. The rest of us just say that success is a journey. There are days when you're successful or times when you're successful and times when you're not. So, uh, yes, they had an opportunity. Um, you know, I believe both my mom and my dad had moments where they were proud of what I was able to accomplish. Uh, they, they got to enjoy meeting my crew and, and seeing the interaction that I had with my crew. So, yeah, I, uh, they came to, they came around to that. And once, once, once you are an adult, uh, it's great to be able to relate to your parents as an adult. Uh, so I was fortunate mm -hmm. enough to get to that point in my life. Wow. And when does that happen? We all have to go through that. You know, I, like I said, I'm 30. My mom is um, approaching 50. She was a young mother and I still feel like a, like young, I still feel like a, a 20 year old, you know what I mean? So when does that a uh, transition occur. I assume it's different for everybody, but you know, when, where does that transition occur from child to man, you know, in, in terms of that relationship with your parents, is it obvious or is it only in reflection that you notice that you've gotten there with your parents? <laughs> reflection is 2020. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're different generations, Alan, I'm 56. And what that mm -hmm. means is that you fall in the millennial class and, and mm -hmm. there's been, you're the most studied generation ever. <laughs> <laughs> and what it comes down to is, you know, um, you, 30 years old in your generation is the same as 18 years old in my generation. Mm. And, and, the, mm. and, and the differences are a full-time job where you, you, you need to pay the bills, uh, a car, uh, either a mortgage payment or at least a rent payment. Uh, probably cohabitating with somebody. So those are all the things that happen when you become an adult. And with the millennial generation, it just happened later. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have the advantages. All those things I just listed, I had to deal with mm -hmm. when I was 16. <laughs> so, you know, th that's unheard of now, right? That, right, that would be right. child abuse. <laughs> but uh, so that, first of all, it, it has to be you. 
And then secondly, it has to be your parents accepting that new you, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Uh, I got married two years ago. And, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, yeah and, and it's been beautiful. And, but it's so strange because I think it was hard for my mom because maybe, the, you know, because you, you, you said how you relate to your parents as a child, but then as, a, as an adult. And what's interesting is it, it, it goes both ways. The parent, uh, they deal with you in terms of you being their child, but then at some point they have to deal with you in terms of you being their adult child. And, and it's interesting that those issues, they come up in unexpected times. Like I, I think my mom didn't know it was coming until my wedding. Then she's like, wow, you know, my, my son's a man now. <laughs> Overnight. Yep. Yep. Wow. <laughs> my, my wife and I have been married for 20 some odd years. I, I think 24 years took us till we were 17 years of marriage before we committed to getting a dog. Uh, but I have 200 people that treat that I have to treat like children sometimes every day. <laughs> wow. So our, my, my crew is, is about 200. Yes. <laughs> and have you, you know, you've been in business for a while now. Have you seen some of your employees grow? You know, I, I would imagine you've hired a 16 year old before an 18 year old before. Have you been in a situation where it's like, wow, I've been around this kid for 10 years. Now he's a, a man or now she's a woman. Oh, I countless times, Alan, countless times, you know, pizza is an entry level position. And that means that it's transient. So people come in, it's their first job. It's their second or third job. They're just there, get a paycheck, you know, socialize and so forth. Those who decide to stay in the industry, uh, I've been fortunate. I look at my team now and I'm surrounded by people that I've worked with for 20, 25, wow. 30 years. And so certainly we both, we've grown up together, right? Mm. Mm. Wow. Uh, so let me ask you about pizza. I, I love pizza. I think it is arguably <laughs> my, my favorite food. Um, I would ask you that question, but let's just assume that's your favorite food. Uh, how often do you eat pizza? Uh, six days a week. Well, I, us I usually t work one, one of the seven days of the week. I work a half a day. And on that day, uh, my wife cooks. Uh, well, she cooks mm. often. But uh, on that day, I usually don't eat pizza. But the rest of the time, I'll either eat pizza or something else off my menu. Just to, you know, you always, with seven restaurants, you always have to check the food. You always have to make sure that, you know, it's, it's to the standard, right? <laughs> and uh, I presume it hasn't gotten old. Do, do you enjoy it just as much as you ever have? I do. I do. You know, uh, a lot of people will say, hey, what's your favorite pizza? And <laughs> I, I've had the advantage of being a, a judge at the International Pizza Con uh, Convention in Las Vegas, the, the wow. worldwide the worldwide competition <laughs> for pizza. And it's 160 chefs who make pizza. And uh, I think on two days I ate 40 <laughs> slices. So I've tried, I've tried every kind of pizza imaginable. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, ours is the best here, but there's the best in Detroit. There's the best in New York. There's the best in Jersey. There's the best in Italy. Right. Have you had like frog legs on pizza? You know, uh, you know, whatever, what have you, what, what's the strangest thing you can remember that you've had on a pizza for the, for the, international pizza competition there are two categories there's traditional and there's non-traditional non-traditional traditional is very uh, let's just say you can't put pineapple on those pizzas right so mm -hmm. non-traditional is you can do anything you want and the one that won one year uh, i tried 
And I'd never had a pizza with gold shavings on it, real gold shavings on it. So that's probably <laughs> the most unusual. You know, for those who've tried it, it's no big deal, but I just had never had it before. And I thought that was interesting. <laughs> gold does um, not have a flavor, by the way. <laughs> so you let, let's, I'm willing to even go as far as to say you're the king of pizza in this county. As king of pizza, settle, settle it for us now. Is pineapple appropriate on pizza or not? <laughs> Boy, I could go on a tangent because I've got a friend. I've got a friend called Scott from Scott's Pizza Tours in New York, and you can take a tour, and he brings you through the five boroughs, a different styles of pizza, and you're trying it throughout the course of the day. And we ran in. We were walking into a place in the Bronx, and he said, "Hey, Tony owns this place. We're gonna, Tony, of course, right? We're going to go in, and, <laughs> and I want you." I want you at some point to ask Tony if he'll put pineapple on your pizza because he knew what was going to happen. Right. So I, you know, we're getting through it. And I said, I said, Hey, Tony, can you throw some pineapple on my pie? And, and Tony went on a 20 minute rant. My father didn't put pine, pineapple on a pizza. My father's father didn't put pineapple on a pizza. I'm never, pineapple doesn't belong on a pizza. And he's going on and on. And, and then he says, it's these fruits from California who messed up pizza by putting pineapple on it. So the answer is yes. Pineapple goes on a pizza. Mm. So I'm not sure that you actually um, answered the, the uh, question that you had asked yourself a second ago. What, what is your favorite pizza? Is there such a thing for a pizza man like you? My favorite pizza is the regional pizza. So if I'm uh, our pizza is you've had our pizza. It's a, I call it a California style, even though it's not recognized as such. You do something that I haven't seen before. On the inside of your pizza box, you have like a tuxedo themed on the inside. Uh, tell me about that. Who, who would think to do that other than you? Well, I, I've taken my crew to Pizza Expo in Las Vegas for 20 years, 20 plus years. And Years ago, I met a company called Pizza Bib. There's some crazy guys out of Australia. And they designed and patented this box where you, you know, the whole idea is you turn the box around, you use the lid as a bib, you know, you tear <laughs> out a section and, uh, and you can take photographs of yourself looking funny in it with this pizza bib on. So I thought the idea was great, but nobody else in the United States w had tried it yet. And they're like, we can't believe nobody in the United States will do this. We've seen your seminars. We, we've seen your marketing. We think you're the guy. And so uh, I met with them, had a few drinks with them. We ended up, you know, I got my pizza vet. We're dragging down the, LA, the, the Las Vegas Strip, <laughs> breaking all kinds of laws. And uh, that was a crazy night. But the next day, I signed a contract with them to do the pizza bib box. And uh, we've done that for a few years now. It's just something fun. I mean, you know, why not have fun with the box as well, right? <laughs> Well, it, it's a brilliant, I think it's brilliant marketing. It's the, the only time I've ever seen it and um, it's totally identifiable to you. And, and you do a lot of other interesting marketing things, um, namely your cars. You, you have a lot of, I think there's a monster truck, a, a Corvette. There are these uh, three wheeled vehicles. Um, tell me about the vehicles. I, I don't, I haven't seen any other pizza company around here that, uh, markets in that way. What What is behind that choice for you? Are you just a car guy? I don't know that I'm a car guy. I do enjoy a Corvette and a pizza, and so that's a good mash, right? 
But mm. I, I always looked at it as you, you pay $20,000 for your restaurant signage. And all it is mm. is an identifier of your location. But if you can put something out in front that will attract attention, uh, that's going to give you a, a lot more marketing bang for your buck. And through the years, I've discovered that code enforcement has locked down every other possibility as far as putting something out in front of your restaurant. So the only thing remaining is the only thing code enforcement doesn't have power over, and that's your vehicle. Mm. <laughs> so I, de I decided that I would you know, have crazy vehicles. And we started with a, a small monster truck, which is currently in Wainimi. And the big monster truck was just the CBs on the Navy base had built one from scratch. Uh, from, and they came to me and said, hey, the Navy base police won't let us drive it on the base. So we have to get rid of it. You know, will you buy it from us? And I said, <laughs> well, I'm not going to pay you for what, what it's worth. But, you know, come up with a reasonable number. So I ended up getting, getting it for almost nothing. But I had, to pay, I had to feed their entire contingent. It's like 150 guys. I was also looking into um, the bio on your on the Pizza Man Dan website, and it says that you were the president of Rusty's Pizza um, for some length of time. What did you learn? I, I presume that was before you started your own business. What glimpses and what did you learn from that experience of managing another uh, pizza company before starting your own? You know, I mentioned that Roger Duncan was my mentor. He was the founder of Rusty's, and prior to working for him. I'd worked for a couple of different pizzeria guys, and none of them had been profitable. My skill was to grow sales. Uh, I've always been able to do that fairly effectively, but I never understood profitability on the level that Roger did. So what I, what I gained from him probably was he had an expression. He said, sales are made in the restaurant, profits are made in the office. And so he taught me to spend enough time in the office to be effective from a, from a business manager standpoint, rather than just a, a sales pizza guy. Right. <laughs> wow. So I assume then there are, there some guys or some folks that are in the office too much. And then some folks that are on the opposite end too much. What's the value of that balance? Well, you nailed it. It is a balance because being in the office, you cannot make an impact on the restaurant. Um, you know, Many restaurants depend on the personality of the owner, the, the, the human contact with the customer, or at least the human contact with the employees to create the, the, the right DNA mix for how, how the restaurant is operated. Uh, but if you spend all your time in the restaurant, then you don't do the things necessary in the office. <laughs> and so it's, it's funny because a lot of my managers are fantastic at running a restaurant, building sales, customer interactions. So really the part that I have to teach them is the office. When I start to, you know, we're, we're getting into franchising right now and we're only doing it so that my long-term managers, my 25, 30 year people that have been working with me can own their own business. Wow. And wow. Our, our approach there is, is simple. I have to teach them how to be an owner. And that is the time that you spend in the office. And they don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of us, we just love the, the, the uh, adrenaline of, the, of, of a pizzeria, of the rush, of working with a team. But uh... <laughs> Wow. So, you know, you're, you're the top of the – you're the top of this pyramid here. You know, this is your company, your pizza business. After all these years of being in a leadership 
position. What makes a good leader? What makes people respond to you in such a way that your business is better? What, what are some of those aspects of being a leader that are important? Oh, boy, I should have studied before I got on this call with you, Alan, <laughs> because there, there are some very specific things. Um, however, what comes to mind without that study is your job as a leader is to provide direction. Uh, your job is to provide the vision. Your job is to provide the values. So that is first and foremost. Then once you have provided that and continually do so, the other side of that equation is your job is to recognize people when they accomplish those things. So first mm. and foremost is, is to, you know, thank them, to uh, recognize them so that other people see their accomplishments. Uh, the other part of that is to, is to measure, to make sure that you've got KPIs, key performance indicators in place so that you're measuring their performance so that you can recognize them when they achieve it, or you can correct them or coach them when they do not. Hmm. So, you know, that's probably the, 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 the few points that I work on as a leader. I had this boss when I was working retail and, um, she was, uh, first of all, I think it was difficult for her because she was a woman and she had to sort of be even better, you know, than, than whoever else could lead the ship simply because she was a woman. And I, I respected her right away. That, that of course didn't bother me, but I found her to be a fantastic leader because, uh, for instance, I, I think the, the bathroom was all messed up or something. And guess who's in there on their hands and knees? My boss, <laughs> my manager. And so you have you it's it's very hard to not respect a, a a leader like that who is willing to do the things uh she asks you to do. And um that was something that sort of I was sort of wondering about the question that I asked you about what makes a good leader. And I wonder if there is any aspect uh like that in you, would you ask somebody to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself? Alan, there's probably too much of that in me. I am very hands-on. Um, <laughs> no, there, there's certainly uh, an example is we took over a, a restaurant in Oxnard. We're getting ready to, uh, to open that new location in a couple of weeks. So that's what I've been spending mm. my time on. And when I first opened the restaurant, I got up in the attic and it was covered with, uh, with the remnants of rats. Oh, no. And yeah, which, you know, I guess that happens. Um, but there was a lot of work that needed to be done up there. And I said, well, I'm not going to send somebody up here in this condition. <laughs> I, I will clean it first because I can't imagine working in that condition. So I crawled mm. up in there and I spent an entire day cleaning the, the space just so somebody would do it. So I have too much of that, and that is actually a fault. So there is a, you know, you mentioned the word balance earlier. There's a great mm -hmm. balance, but I, I'll bring to your attention an example that I try to think of every time I'm doing too many of the mundane tasks, and that is Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, but Jimmy Carter wanted to be the, the president that was the everyman president. Mm. And the first photo that they had of him, the first video, 
when he became president is he arrived at the White House and he picked up his own bags and walked them in. <laughs> and, and no yeah. other president has done that. He did it intentionally to say, I am a servant leader, to say that mm-hmm. I am, uh, you know, an every man's president. But that was a mistake, in my opinion. And that mistake is something that that's, that I have the same fault as Jimmy Carter. And people do not want a leader who who is on their hands and knees scrubbing toilets. Yes, wow. there's, a, wow. there's, there's a level of respect for that, but that is not what they want in a leader. How would you, um, so what would you add to that to make, say, this optimal leader? You know, obviously we're just kind of spitballing here and how could you ever measure that? But you, so, you know, what, I guess what is wrong with that in a leader? Somebody who's doing too much, what, how did the employees respond to a leader like that? <laughs> the same way they respond to me because I'm that kind of leader. <laughs> um, you know, when when that happens, you'll have a percentage of the employees. Let's just say that 20% of all employees are exceptional. And maybe mm. you fall into that category, Alan. Maybe when you saw that person scrubbing the floor, uh, you said, wow, I respect that. I'm going to work harder because of it. But mm. that's only 20%. That's the 80-20 rule, right? 80% mm-hmm. of the employees are just like, great, my boss is doing the job, so I don't have to. <laughs> so, you know, so to respond to that is it's not effective because it only works on 20% of the employees. What works on the other 80%? The things I described that are the study of leadership, the, mm. the providing the values, providing the vision, providing the direction, and then expect, you know, you, uh, you, Expect what you inspect, right? So inspect on a daily basis what their performance is. Set the standard of that performance through key, key performance indicators, KPIs, and measure it and recognize it when it's done or coach it when it's not. That, to me, that's a nice, clear definition of leadership. And it has nothing to do with picking up the bags and walking them into the White House. <laughs> your business, uh, it, it, it appears to be very successful. And on your website, you mentioned in 2019 that you, in the Ventura County, you sold over 100,000 pounds of hot wings. And <laughs> you've there, I think, a figure like 3 million uh, meals served in total. Is, is that how you measure your success or your persistence or your passion? What do those numbers tell you as a business owner and as a pizzeria man? Those numbers mean nothing. Those are just fun numbers that I sat down one day and said, hey, you know, what's the reality <laughs> of what we've done here? <laughs> so that we can use it as a, you know, just to tell people what we have done. Uh, we are not the most successful pizzeria in town. If you've been in town, you know who that is. So I'm I'm kind of like Avis. We say we're number two. We try harder. <laughs> that was their motto for years. And I guess it worked for them. Um, so we have our own level of success. It's not super success. It's simply a, a pretty good system, a great pizza with tremendous people, uh, you know, 200 people that are making this whole thing work that I couldn't do without. Mm. So. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that you can say this is a successful business, except that we have our days of success and our days of failure. And it's really a, a road to success. It's, it's, a des- it's not mm-hmm. a destination. It's kind of the travel. You've heard that before. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, your wildest fantasies, what 
how far do you want this train to go in terms of your business? Do you desire, like a lot of other business owners, uh, they just want infinite growth? Or do you imagine some stage of satisfaction or contentment at the end of the road? Or, you know, are you just going along for the ride and you hope it's a good trip? Hmm. Deep question, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I got into this business and I originally thought, okay, uh, the strategy would be to build a $10 million business and to have, you know, the ability to give it the passion when I wanted to and to take time off with my wife when I wanted to. Mm. And what I discovered about myself is that I did not have one of the key components that successful people need. And that is the uh, respect for the dollar. Mm. So what has happened is rather than working for the dollar, I found, you know, when you look at all the things that we, there are seven things that, that they say we try to achieve in life. And, and one of them is significance and significance to me means building a company that provides employment good employment to the people who are working and provides the customers with something unique in the market that they enjoy. So I got in the pizza business because it's a shared food. We talked about that at uh, back in my days at URI and the, the pleasure of, of sharing that food. Well, when I looked at, as, as we started to do this in business, I, I discovered that I think I can never be satisfied because a traditional pizzeria is what I designed this for. And when that wasn't enough and, and I wanted more for the customer, uh, I met a, a gentleman ooh, back in 2007 at the Pizza Expo in Vegas while I was working, given a seminar. He was in the talk. And as many people do, they approach me and say, hey, would you like to go to business together? And I've, I've always said, no, I'm not taking out a partner. I've never. Uh, this guy was different. And he, he's kind of, what's the right expression? His, his name is Josh. He is now my business partner. And he is the brains behind the operation. He is a brilliant strategist for what's happening in the future. Mm-hmm. So that, that partnership has allowed me to say, not only we have this traditional pizzeria, but what things can we add? What can we change moving forward to create a really dynamic, successful business that is something people are talking about. And again, that's probably my need for significance that happens. There. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't work in the business. We, we, when he and I work together, we're working on the business rather than in the business. My job is to run it and he and I brainstorm on how to, how to grow it, what we need to change. He studies the market. He studies the competition. He studies what's up and coming. And we've got a lot of great ideas for the future. There's that tired adage or phrase that we hear all the time, but I'm curious from a business standpoint, from a businessman's standpoint, what does it mean to you when you hear the phrase, the customer is always right? (laughs) Uh, It's a great phrase, but here's the problem. The problem is every human being on the planet repeats that in their mind differently. (laughs) <laughs> if I say to you, Alan, no, it's true. I, I say to you, I say, the customer is always right. You, as an employee, as a human being, say in your own mind, the customer is always right, except when I think they're wrong. 
You do. You do. Every one of my people <laughs> plays does. And I do also. So I actively combat that in my mind because I know that's human nature. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have we have a strategy in our business, an ultimate guarantee, a way of doing business with customers that we believe what they say. It doesn't matter. There's no, you know, here's the problem is, is 95% of those customers are in fact telling the truth as they experienced it. There's only 5% that are trying to, trying to screw you. Right. So if you make a judgment call, you're probably going to land with abusing somebody in the 95% category. This Mm -hmm. just the law of averages is there. Right. So (laughs) if, if, if I don't teach my people, to, you know, I tell them right out. I say, you know, we, we just like everybody else is stupid. I haven't heard it called a dodge before, but the adage, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, love that, I love that pronunciation of it. Alan. Uh, the, the adage, uh, the customer is always right, is, is a falsehood because until you get beyond the part that, that you say to yourself, except when I think they're wrong, we can't go anywhere with it. <laughs> Yeah, I've actually never heard anybody pronounce it adage, but like I'm a musician and I see these words on like the sheet music and stuff and, you know, like adagio. <laughs> so I figure that must be the way it's pronounced. Nobody has ever pronounced it adage. So I, I like that you caught that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like it better. I'm, I'm using it that way. For now. <laughs> I just can't imagine it's, you know, adage. You know what I mean? It just doesn't right, sound right. right. Um, it's not so as French. Also, so, you know, you we're talking about what makes a good leader. And in my opinion, I think there's a big style factor that comes in with leadership and a little style doesn't hurt. So and I and I say that because I've seen your commercials, the Pizza Man Dan commercials, and they're hilarious. They're good. I I, I can't help but watch them over and over. Uh, oh, thanks. It's a, it's a joy anytime there's a new one. I think I don't, I'm not sure how many you got, how many you have now. It's like at least five or or more. Um, so I am just curious about that. Do you have acting experience? Uh, yeah, simply that. Do you have acting experience? I have no acting experience. I would recommend to anybody who wants to be a leader to join a, an organization called Toastmasters. Have you heard of that organization, Alan? I've never heard of that. What's up with that? Toastmasters is a public speaking organization. Most people think of organizations you join to, uh, you know, maybe they're they're a club, a get together, uh, Rotary, Lions Club. It's people who are are bored and want to give back to the community, or they want to connect with other people. Toastmasters is not that at all. It is one of the few organizations in the world that is there. It's designed for you as an individual to improve. It's a very self-serving mm-hmm. organization. Uh, Toastmasters is public speaking. Uh, you've heard the expression that you know at, at a uh, most people are so afraid of public speaking that at a wake they would rather be in the coffin than at the podium. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, so Toastmasters is uh, a method of teaching you how to speak in front of others. Uh, many of our politicians should be Toastmasters as well. But uh, <laughs> I, I bring that up because, you know, just doing something like a, a little video for social media is fun. But if you, if you say, ah, um, er, it doesn't work. If you 
practice it too many times, then it's not theater anymore. The idea is to just have fun. And Toastmasters allow, my experience with Toastmasters allows me to do that. Yeah, I'm not going to say we get it on the first take, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate the um, that reference of uh, Toastmasters and public speaking, and and I do agree that that's very important. Um, I took a public speaking class in college. Uh, I don't know how many years ago now, but you know, my life was night. It, it was from night to day after that class. And, yes. and what I mean is, is that prior to that class, my God, I couldn't stand in front of anybody and say anything articulate at all other than friends. But going through the bumps in that road of, of that class and having to do it out of necessity and actually getting better and actually having a fantastic professor, uh, I see those benefits now in every, walking down the street and nodding at somebody, coming the opposite, you know, public speaking. Yeah. And I imagine the experience you got from the Toastmasters, uh, it's more than just, you know, shooting a commercial or talking in front of a group of people. I mean, I really think that those skills come out in everything. It, probably how you address your crew, how you speak to, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, so I do appreciate that you said that. And it sounds like you got a lot out of that. Having having said that, did you, do you still have anxiety when you, you know, you know you're going to shoot a video tomorrow? Is, there, is it easy for you? Do you feel uh, anxious before doing it? Uh, for a video, no, that's just fun. However, uh, because I speak at the Pete's Expo every year, there are some times where I'm speaking before 20 people. Sometimes <laughs> I'm speaking before a thousand people. And in every one of those cases, I don't know the people in the audience. So yes, I feel anxiety entering that situation. And my mm. Toastmasters training, which is not like riding a bicycle, by the way, you need to continue. <laughs> with. Uh, I do. I continue to attend. That's my... Uh, I don't know, my, uh, my work so that when I get to that point of, of speaking before a thousand people, I can give them the information that they came with their time and money invested. So, so I'm not wasting their time. Right. Mm, mm, so that's, mm -hmm. that's my strategy. And uh, Toastmasters has an expression. They say it does not get rid of the butterflies in your stomach. It just causes them to fly in formation. <laughs> wow. I, I like that a lot. I just, I mean, for the record, the, I think the commercials are hilarious. I think they're, they're Thanks, well dude. done. Um, and um, my buddy and I were sent, we're constantly sending them back and forth to each other. Um, so my God, I, I just, <laughs> I'm so thankful that I don't know of any other local business doing that right now, especially pizza. I don't, I haven't seen any other pizza commercials, maybe a Domino's or something, but that's, you know, we take that for granted. Uh, so thank you. Right. Um, I have about three more questions, and I'll start with the uh, maybe the simplest one. Uh, to you, as a pizza person and as a business owner, uh, what what is pizza by the slice? What does that mean to you? Pizza by the slice reminds me of Jersey Shores. <laughs> we, we used to we used to leave Newport and drive down overnight, leave at two a.m. after closing a pizzeria. And wake up on the beach in uh, Seaside <laughs> Heights or Wildwood, and they had pizza by the slice down there, and that was what you ate. I, I can't imagine anything else was eaten in Jersey Shores in the eighties. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so and, you know, and you think about going to New York. What are you going to do? You, you're going to go down. You're going to have a pizza by the slice from Ray's Pizza or somewhere else, Lombardi's. So 
pizza by the slice is an experience that has to do with the area that you are in. Mm. And, uh, I don't know. That's what it means to me. <laughs> you talk about your defining moment uh, on your website, and I was reading the story, and I, th- I found that very interesting. What was that defining moment for you early in your career? You know, I had never intended to be a, a pizza guy. It was a job, right? And we all go, you know, you finish whatever you're doing, whatever school that you're doing, and you go on to a job. And it's usually whoever will hire you. Sometimes you decide what direction you're going to go. And those people are amazing to me. But most Mm -hmm. of us just fall into whoever's going to hire us. And then if we have fun at it, we stick with it. And so I had fun with pizza and I stuck with it. And then that defining moment, as you read about, was it was funny. It was a little girl that looked up at me with with some vision of a superhero that I couldn't imagine. I, I mean, I'm telling you, that's what I saw in a, a reflection in her eyes. She was seeing something that I didn't see in myself. And she just saw this person who was this pizza man, right? And it was at that moment that I said, okay, this is no longer a job. This is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And that was a defining moment. It, it was it was interesting. It stuck with me for, for life. <laughs> wow. It's interesting you say that. Um, I'm a substitute teacher, and I remember this day where it was pizza day. Now, well, you know, schools, they'll have maybe pizza once a week. And you you see pizza a lot on the menu. But there was this little girl, and somewhat similar to to an experience you had that you just mentioned. But she must have been, I don't know, up to my waist. She was maybe a second grader, first grader. And... I was handing out the pizza for some odd reason. I'm not sure why I was standing there doing that. I was the sub. I don't, you know, I wasn't working in the cafeteria and she looked up at me and asked if she could have one. And the obvious answer is of course she's in line. They, they get free lunch at this school. So it's, it was very funny because in, in her eyes, it was almost as if she expected to hear a no. And and I don't know why. And, but uh, you know, she got a piece of pizza and she went on her way. Um, so I think for various reasons, there is power in this food that you've gotten yourself into. Um, and, and in some way, you know, you are a superhero. It, I, I remember when I was a kid ordering pizza and I lived in a bad uh, I lived in a bad neighborhood and we waited for hours and it never came. And I maybe have have never suffered a more devastating heartbreak <laughs> than that pizza not arriving <laughs> oh man that is brutal <laughs> and it was very i i must have been five and i've never ever forgotten that um so i just have one more question for you pizza man dan you can answer it any way you like and i hope you pardon my french who the hell are you <laughs> i am the pizza man alan <laughs> uh-huh.